So our guest this afternoon is John Knowles OAM, one of Australia's leading aged care developers and founder of the Knowles Group, a privately owned group of companies with particular interests in aged care, retirement living and property development. Born to a working class family in the Victorian countryside, John built his first house aged 17, eventually entering the large scale retirement village and aged care sectors and building a business that today employs over 3,000 people. John, pleasure having you with us this morning. I want to start with your background. You were born in, as I mentioned, the Victorian countryside in the township of Rushworth in 1937. Talk to me about your upbringing in the country and perhaps Australia at that time. My father, well, being in the war years, he was a primary producer, so he did military service, as in this country, uh, was ready for war if needed. However, being one of four boys, I was the second boy born, there was no future on a small dairy farm. So at the age of uh, 10, I think I might have been, we moved to Melbourne, where my father took a position where he could look after his family. He was very lucky because he did have a smart car, was able to swap the smart car for a house at the time. It was a good move for all of us as, uh, as I moved uh, through last year of primary school onto Swinburne Tech. In fact, I think I was there at Swinburne Tech with each of our brothers. I knew at the age of 10 what I'd be in life. I was to be a carpenter. We started that way, uh, doing many, many odd jobs for people probably overpriced jobs, but however, at that time I was extremely mean. But in, in being mean, it meant I was able to save, and save I did. So much so that after my father gave me our first block of land, happened to be Rosebud, I had enough money saved to uh, complete that house. But unfortunately, halfway through, National Service took over. I think I was the last intake of national service. And uh, to remember Jailhouse Rock, Elvis Presley had just been released. That's from memory of, it's about the only memory I have of, of that um, being in the army at that time. Three months there, and I was able to finish my house as the 56 Olympic Games came on. With my brother, and my brother came later as an apprentice, but it gave us enough time, enough money to, to, to re, rebuild and make a little profit. We made a profit, we spec became a speculative builder from that day on. From there we uh, did many houses down Rosebud. Surprised to say most of them are still standing because quality wasn't that flash. However, from that point, we did move into North Bourbon, <clears throat> where we were able to many spec houses again in, in North Portland. Um, there again is the profit. That became a speculative way of life. Had enough money to punt the next, the next project. From there, I was able to buy, land was extremely cheap. Bought 26 acres in Mentone, which we developed, worked hard, Nothing came easy, but hard work gave us that opportunity. 
So you mentioned in your book, The Life I've Built by John Knowles, fantastic book by the way, you mentioned that academics didn't interest you and that, as you said, you knew that you were going to become a carpenter or, or involved in the building or construction trade from a young age. What was it about being hands-on and practical that you enjoyed? I had a tremendous world to succeed, not necessarily the money. Today I still have not lost that world to succeed. I'll keep uh, doing what I do until the day I pass, pass on. I just love, love being involved in development. By age 17, your career as a property developer commences with the purchase of a block of land in 4th Avenue, Rosebud. Take me through your early experiences and going through the process of, of actually building your first property. How, how difficult was that? Being an apprentice, that'll have weekends only to be able to forge your career. I love sport really love sport but I think my career came first at the time. Um, I was able to, uh, with the help of my brother, and as you might realise, I have three brothers in this business, together with another partner, Ian Ball. But in back in those days, I would go down there, I remember now, I'd go down there on the back of a Lambretta, Graham would be on the back, and there we there we'd stay the weekend building these houses of course until the time I came it completed my apprenticeship and as as of then Graham was became my uh, my apprentice that's where we started developing further properties on the peninsula and how did you go from building houses into building apartments I, th I think at the time we were always profit motivated of course success breeds profit, and profit breeds more success. We would always look for a, another opportunity, and, and we did, building a number of houses in Northbourne. They were all spec houses, except for one I did uh, for, for another client, but generally, very rarely would we have built for another client in our lives. Northbourne was quite a success. That, that then took us to Heidelberg, Ivanhoe area, where we bought a, built a number of walk-up, three-storey apartment blocks. There, of course, that was when I became married to Coral, my wife, in 1966. I do remember on having a, this 26 acres of land at Mentone, I did ask Coral to join me. She said, oh, I'm not coming down there unless you build me a two-storey house. I said, Coral, please, that would be, be overcapitalised in the area. However, as you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. I built that tiny two-storey house down there and that was the start of living us. We lived in Mentone then for the next five years doing estate work. You mentioned your wife, Coral Knowles, there. In 1961, I think it was, was when you met her. She was then known as Coral Triplet. How, how did you meet her? I think I read that it was at a Essendon football club function. Talk, talk to me about how you met. At the time, I was fairly, pretty friendly with Ali Keepers, and uh, I'm sure he would have been in love with Coral himself. The moment I saw my wife, Coral, 
I thought, oh, it's a bit good for me, a little bit too good. However, as we met a couple of occasions, and she had split by with from Alex at that time, I had enough courage to ask her out, not really expecting she'd, she'd, she'd make that decision. But she said, yeah, I'll, I'll come along. And I do remember on the way to that dinner at restaurant at Louis that evening, I said, Johnny, you have certainly overachieved here. Mm. That was the start of our relationship. And here we are today, still loving each other, probably even more so. Going back to your business career, fast forward to 1976, I think it was, when yourself, Ian Ball, and your two brothers, Russell and Graham, founded Australian Retirement Communities, also known as ARC. Why did you go into the retirement village or retirement community sector after developing houses and then apartments? Where did you see the opportunity? A little bit fortunate, you might say, there. Um, I was approached from being an estate builder in Mentone. I happened to meet up with Bob Payne from the Frankton, Frankston Baptist Church, who decided they would venture into the retirement village process. The industry was certainly in its infancy at that stage. The, where the meeting was because I think I did own the block of land next door, or whether it was what we're building around uh, Mentone, uh, we were approached and subsequently built their first village, I think 70, 70 units, of which I think I uh, might have financed a fair bit of that village. What was the financial model? You, there's a great passage in the book where you mentioned you uh, came up with a, a sort of a unique financial model, I think, with your accountant at the time for this retirement community project that you were doing. What was the financial model? How does it work? That was um, being our first private, ourselves, our first pro project in a retirement village, which was Ballarat. I think I know about 92 units in Ballarat back in 1976. It was not easy to get finance, although we, we'd had a, enough accumulated to get a fair start. But as far as the uh, financial side of that, that was designed by Lee Jamison, an accountant we were using at the time. A situation where you would, people would be able to buy the unit at a low figure and at a period of anywhere up to eight years later when they deceased, they would be paid out at a later stage. Mind you, they were getting in at the bottom end of the project at a reasonable figure. So that enabled us to get them to uh, possibly hold two contracts on the one project. The situation became out of date when other developments became involved in the mid-80s, thereabouts. Quite a lot of people by that time started in the industry. I think I can see how our success was heading in that area and uh, different situations of management fees took place. We then switched over from that particular financial area back in the early 90s. Mind you, building retirement villages in 90, 91, 92 in Melbourne 
was a pretty brave idea. But luckily, prior to the 90s, just so 89, we were able to get our finance for two projects, one in Preston and one in Donvale. Not unlike COVID we've just been through, there were no sales. If you had a sale, you were very lucky. We soon overcame that as we came out of, as we were coming out of COVID today, those villages started to flourish. So we were able to uh, go on and build, I think, another 15 projects after that, finishing up with about three and a half thousand units, three and a half thousand units in um, 2007 when we sold out to Stockland. At that stage, Stockland did not want our aged care arm. So we were extremely lucky there. We were able to build on that arm. At that stage, I think we only had four facilities. We built on that arm, and as of today, we've built that up to 50 facilities with 5,000 employees. As you said, you sold ARC to Stockland in 2007 for I think around 329, 330 million. What did you do after that sale? Did it change your life in any way? We took it a little easy for a while, but um, we sit back for two years. We sort of wasted, mind you, we had a complete projects for Stocklands. I suppose uh, that that took some time until we were able to ratchet up again two years later, and from then on. Well, I guess we build about three to four facilities each year. Um, starting well, in those days, Victoria, back in 2007, well, that's Sage stock and I think we started our first aged care in um, North Lakes, out of Brisbane. You've lived through multiple cycles of the market, 89 crash, the GFC in 07, 08, and then now COVID in 2020. What are the keys to surviving? Well, obviously it's the cash flow, isn't it? You need that cash flow. And uh, we, protect, we protect that more today than we ever did because as you get older, you do tend to protect your cash flow somewhat. Don't have the opportunity at my age or even at 60 on to make a start again. So you do look after that area of the business. When you're looking at a new site, what, for either for a aged care or retirement village centre, what do you look for? Well, it's always position, 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 is it not? But you, you cannot always hope to get in that situation. If you make to, there are sites that people could give me and I still wouldn't build on them, even if I was given that site. We do look for the need in the area, I mean, that's obviously a need. Uh, we have competition, we have to be aware of the competition and the competition can hurt you. Although each, each one of us, each one of my colleagues in the industry, we're, we're, we speak collectively and there's no issues, uh, we, we help each other out. But as far as getting sites, yes we look. We look hard and wide, and I guess that's why we finished up going to Queensland and New South Wales. It's been quite good. We almost have as much, as many, as many uh, aged care in 
in, in Queensland as we do in Victoria. Trying to keep our teams together. Do not like to lose personnel. When you've got good personnel, you must hold on to them. Send them on holidays, do what you like, keep them. But they are your rewards, your personnel. Very strong and keeping a good team together, together with our care itself. We have an exceptional team and uh, in so much so, I do believe we're the envy of others. You've also been involved in some commercial development over the years, 215 Spring Street in Melbourne CBD and of course the Dendi Plaza redevelopment. Let's start with Dendi Plaza. How did, how did that come about? Dendi Plaza was owned by the Ward family. They were property rich. We probably had a little bit of cash at the time coming out of the villages and uh, we approached them, the, two, the two brothers and uh, it was partly a joint venture to start with, with it, but they had a takeout at the end. I was pretty proud of that particular project. First really large commercial venture we did. We still own that um, today. It takes a wee bit more managing today. It's had a number of changes to the building in the meantime. Danny is really our one and only Marge major building, apart from our offices in Hampton East, a number of offices here and, and, a, and the next door offices as well. And apart from that, we as of somewhere to place our funds back in 2008, maybe 2009, we were able to purchase 215 Spring Street. 215 Spring Street was then owned by Colonial. It had previously been the Price Waterhouse headquarters and uh, has been such a secure investment. We were very lucky to purchase that for probably the third of its value today back in 2008. Now having just almost all government tenants. You've had a lot of challenges and, uh, and diff periods of difficulty over your life. What are the keys, do you think, of overcoming difficulty? As I might have mentioned earlier, cash flow has been, always been a problem. Where we'd, uh, being a builder, basically, we'd be purchasing on the first of the month, waiting 30 days to pay at the end of the following month, and then waiting after that. So. We've been through our tough times, just almost, almost to say we're not insolvent, but not far off being bankrupt. So that's why I'm so careful on cash flow today. John, I want to ask you about the financing of a boxing match or a boxing expedition, I think in uh, 1974. What, what happened with that? Yes, it was one of those... Um, weak moments, sounded like a quick profit, but believe, believe me, there's no such thing as quick profit. No, we, uh, we suffered fairly heavily on that uh, particular occasion, but I'm not one for not giving it a go. I'll give most projects a go. 
maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should stick to my own knitting, but um, can't help myself at times. That was at the time we were starting a um, retirement village at um, Ballarat back in 70, 75. Distant memory, but it's part of history. Speaking of giving things a go, there was also in 1982 a potential expansion into the US, I think in San, San Antonio. Talk to, me about, talk to me about that period, but also why you haven't expanded into, say, New Zealand or the US. Oh, I think mostly Rob, it's control. You, you, the, further, the further you are away from your, your knitting, your basics, you tend to lose control. However, in America, and it was in San Antonio, of course, that was going through somewhat of a recession there too, and also and, uh, financing was quite difficult. With no track record to go by in America, um, we were unable to source the funds required. However, we were somewhat lucky when the Australian dollar devalued and uh, sold the property, brought our money back to Australia, we uh, made quite a handsome profit. Not nowhere near as much as we would have made had we kept going. However, it's one of those areas that I would never, never dream of doing again. You've also said that business opportunities are like buses, there's always another one coming. What do you mean by that and, and how has that guided you over the years? Yes, there's always an opportunity and I'm, I guess I love a challenge and uh, as of um, the last couple of years, the challenge, this is little investment that's taken place over in uh, Ming and Yu, Western Australia. We uh, are now involved in tracking satellites. It's been at this stage, fairly costly exercise, getting dishes in place, and this is, this is personal investment of my own. It is starting to become profitable, and it will be profitable. There's an, an amazing opportunity in this area to expand, and uh, with, a, with a good partner I have in this area, we are more than happy with the way progress is today. You're in your eighth decade of life now. Do you think Australia is a better place today than it was 70, 80 years ago? I believe it is. When you consider rough and tough times from the farm, early, early days growing up, there wasn't much other attraction than playing football, cricket. Thank goodness for that because I did love my sport. Yeah, I think it's a great future absolutely a great future in the country. Anyone has the opportunity to make good in this country. And I guess it's as, as good now as ever. Even the, the kids today seem to even be better, far better educated, much smarter than ones I'm growing up. So there is just so much opportunity. In terms of aged care centres, how have they changed? It looks like the R-Care ones, I mean, obviously they're five-star pools, gyms, saunas, classes, yoga uh, studios, all that sort of thing. 
you wouldn't have put those in place, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Is that what separates you from others, do you think? Oh, I'm not saying, Rob, I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. I think our product is, is possibly more up to scratch. Each one of our facilities, well, first of all, wouldn't be a shared bathroom in any of our facilities. We try to keep them state of the art. We try to build them as best, best we can bearing in mind our clients, bearing in mind our clients' needs. And that's very important to us. We must look after our clients, as of course we look after our staff. But as of changes to other new facilities, no, they're all much of a muchness. We try to keep our facilities not too large, keep them down around about 100 beds per facility. Many of the others are up to about 180, 200. We feel it's just too, too large. What was the impact of last year? Yeah, that was a difficult year. As again, protecting our cash flow. We were obliged by the government to pay out probate as needed. And uh, at that same time, whilst paying probate out, proceeds were not coming in the front door as we were not able to admit if many or if any. Um, it was quite a difficult situation, but luckily, there again, we had the cash flow to get over that nine months mainly. My second last question is, how do you keep yourself busy outside of work? What are your, what are your hobbies? I'm a bit of an Essendon fan, but I'm, I'm more on a fair weather watcher these days in front of the TV. And of course you'll get every game you want on, on TV. Dearly love to be going to the Anzac Day match at the MCG, but it won't be, but one of the girls in our office, and she'll keep me up to date on, on that proceedings on that day, but of course it'll be televised and I'll be, I'll be there watching it. But apart from the football, quite interested in sport, do a little bit of walking, gardening, I have a beautiful garden in my home in Brighton. Been in that house for 48 years and so it's a fairly established garden by now. Reading, and that's about, I don't bicycle, don't bike ride. I'm too old for that anyway. I keep myself busy. And my final question is, where do you want to see the Knowles Group going in five or ten years? As long as I'm still around, we will we'll, we'll still see ourselves as being major contributor to the aged care sector. It's hard to see, we're, luckily we are private and that's where we're quite envious of others. And, and sooner or later we have the succession that will take us into the future, but how much in the future, I really am not, not sure. John Knowles, OAM, it's been a pleasure having you on this afternoon. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob.